I am unashamed. What about you? Welcome back to Unashamed. So we got the gang back together. Jace is back. He's full He's of back. stories. I would we say, I would ask if y'all miss me, but <laughs> I realize why y'all were doing what you did. <laughs> yes, I was, I filmed for, I think it was nine days. Yeah, you, you consumed in for one episode and maybe part of another one, and then you had to go do your stuff. So, And y'all were so accommodating, and I couldn't figure it out. And uh, well, we, we we got an upgrade on the. Well, I figured it out. Number one, you had Sadie coming in, so it was an upgrade. They were like, well, you're taking Jace's spot," and Zach went, "Who?" Because he was thinking, he was realizing that way more people go. It was watch. the merging of empires all into it one was. spot. That's and then it. another thing is we spend so much time together doing these podcasts. It's almost like a second marriage of sorts. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it reminded me of my first marriage that every once in a while, I can tell my wife, she just needs a break. <laughs> she just, it doesn't have to be very long. Just uh, Absence just, makes the heart grow fonder. That's right. As they say. We miss you, Jason. You know what? I can't blame her and I can't blame y'all. So I'm back. He's back. So Zach, what have, what have you been doing? You got anything interesting to kick us off with? You know what? I do because I love unashamed nation you guys are amazing and you don't realize how powerful this community is until well let me back up a little bit about two months ago my son max is changing the tires out on his truck oh boy but he's got the jack out he's got two jacks out and one is out of my my truck and the other was out of our jill's minivans he's got a honda odyssey and I knew in my gut that he's not going to put that back. I knew it. that's going to wind up in the garage in a pile of of junk, and some and somewhere down down in in the future, Jill's going to break down, or I'm going to break down the flat tire, and that jack's not going to be in there. And so I told him, I said, "Hey, when you get done with that, here you put that jack back exactly where it goes." And you know, in the Honda Odyssey, it's in the center. You pull up the the rug, and there's the the, the tire and then all the tools are right there and they're with it. Well, guess what? That day happened. He didn't put it back and I'm, and I'm driving down the road going to a football game. I'm, I'm two hours from my house in the middle of nowhere, North Carolina. And all of a sudden I hear the noise. Oh, so I pull over. It's, I got a flat tire. It's 5:20 PM Friday night. I get out. I get the spare tire out. I pull out the little styrofoam thing that has the, that's supposed to have the tire tool, and guess what's not in there? Shocker. Shocker. <laughs> it's your children. So I'm sitting there. But you realize it's the, your fault because they're only as good as you disciplined them. So our kids no, do what they see, they learn <laughs> yeah. from what they see. Not from what they you say. And that's what's so infuriating about it, Zach. You, you can only blame yourself. No, that was Jill. I take care of stuff. That, that's, oh, I'm telling y'all. It's turned into I love a marriage my wife, but, <laughs> counseling. Yeah, well, that was that. They got that from their mom, and so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, and I, and it's so funny. I'm like, what am I going to do? Because I, don't, I mean, so I tried to call AAA, but I can't. I mean, they're like, yeah, well, you're you're too far out, and oh boy, and I get on the map, and I'm like, where am I? Where am I even at? And so I'm about, I don't know, ten miles from. Uh, a town in, uh, called, I think it's called Lincolnton. And I'm telling you, it was like the Holy Spirit just spoke to me. And he, and he reminded me of a person who listens to this podcast who had reached out to me probably two two or three years ago. They wanted to get baptized. And they're like, We're gonna, I want to come to your church and I want to get baptized. And I'm like, no, you need to get baptized in a local church where you can like join the church, be a part of it. And I helped this, I helped this lady find I think I've told the story in here before. I helped her find a, a local church. Her, she joined, was baptized. Her husband was joined, and then all their family came. It's an incredible story. And I remember that they live in this town. And so I, 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 I tracked down their number, and I and I texted her, and they they were literally two miles. They lived like two miles down the road, and so they came with a tire tool, changed my tire. It's incredible. 
I mean, that's Unashamed Nation, no matter where you're at. We, you're we two miles people. away from hell. This is like Dad's wedding story. I mean, it's just all right there in front of you. God's looking out yeah. for you. That's amazing. Phil's wedding story was pretty epic. <laughs> he found a location an hour and a half away without any Across three parishes. technical oh, aid. So these people came to your rescue. They brought you a tire tool and fixed your tail. De- yeah, Deidre and Rick. Deidre so and if Rick. You, if you, I mean, we, I'm telling you, we got people, y'all. I mean, no matter where you're at, we need to have a hotline somewhere we can contact everybody. But <laughs> that's right. I luckily had, had the Unashamed had Nation hotline. That, well, that'll be our new thing. While you were doing that, I was coming back to, to Louisiana and I had to get up. I had to fly, uh, I had to drive to Philadelphia. I'm in Maryland, fly from Philadelphia. This all happened at, the wee hours of the morning, mm. you know, and it was me who was on the flight back, me and Murray and uh, our director Jenna, and so uh, I was so excited. Just y'all you know, hadn't been here in so long, and so I was sitting in the front of the plane, last leg, Atlanta to Monroe. Excitement is brewing, and a woman comes on the plane. And her bag was too big to fit in the overhead bin. Oh, yeah. That's every flight. Because Monroe plane, that last leg, we get little planes. And the Mm -hmm. bags that are acceptable to airplane status will not fit on these little planes. Let me just tell you guys, if you're ever coming here, backpack is as big as you can put above you. So, So, and, and I'm, even though I left for eight or nine days, I will never check a bag. So I'm traveling light, which was cha- which was a challenge to be gone that long. The clothes I had on, they were dirty. <laughs> it's just the way it was. So, but anyway, I see a, I see an opportunity here. Nice woman sitting one one seat back on the other side of the plane, and she just said it won't work. So I got up, and said, "Oh, I'll make it work." <laughs> so <laughs> I crammed that thing in there and closed the latch. And I could tell, you know, it was, it was a good deed. Everybody was, you know, was feeling good. Immediately when I closed that hatch, the intercom comes on, and it was a it was a tone that I've never heard from a stewardess. <laughs> if you have a bag that's too big for the overhead, do not cram it in there. You can get a pink. Yeah, so then she, the plane went silent because everybody just saw the struggle. And I thought, they know. she doesn't like me. The she only thing she left off is, that's you, homeless man in 6A. Yeah. I mean, she she literally that's, did everything but call you out. She, she called very me out. Passive aggressive. That was very, very passive aggressive. <laughs> that's that's my, aggressively <laughs> passive aggressive. That's my right. face turned red, but no one saw it because of the beard. <laughs> And so that woman kept looking at me like big eyes thinking, now what do we do? Because she's pretty much called you out. And I'm like, I I just motioned with my mouth. I said, don't open that bin. (laughs) Whatever you do. (laughs) Because it's going to be a mess anyway. So now for one hour, when I should have been preparing for the podcast, which is what I normally do on airplanes, I'm thinking, I've got to get that bag out. Because she can't, she's unable, and we got to go down that road again. Oh, yeah. It's going to happen again. And and it's like, so. You're going to get the scorn look again. As soon as we land, I, you know, as soon as we come to a complete stop, I jump out. You know, I'm like fighting my way out of a crowd. And I get up there and I start wrestling the beast out. (laughs) And I thought, well, that's my good deed for the day. Yeah. You know, I was feeling pretty proud of myself. Because when I looked up and saw the stewardess, it was like fire was coming out of her eyes, you know. It was Because she was hating on you for that whole flight. Yeah. So I was so proud of myself that right before I stepped off the plane, I was literally mid-step. She's already giving me the glare. She didn't say, thanks for flying. Hope to see you soon. Nothing. I realized that in all the chaos, I have forgotten my back. Oh, no. The walk of shame. <laughs> oh, man. But you can't you go back go on, back. can you? Well, I didn't step off because that's what she said. I turned around and come back. She said, you can't come back on the plane. I said, hey, I never got off of it. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I left my bag. 
And she's looking at me, realizing now she's putting all the pieces together. You spent all that time doing what I said don't do. And, and now, now you left, your bag. You left now it. She thought, she thought I the left the beast of the bag. <laughs> and, and so she's like, well, where is your bag? You know, I just kept walking. And so I got up. My bag's the only one left. I'm, people were... They're being nice to me because I helped this woman. The whole plane, you're a hero to mm. everybody on the plane except one person. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. so I have to now experience the second glare because <laughs> now I have a bag that was not the one I put on there. So mm. now she's, I feel like she's fixed to call security thinking yeah. he's been handling a bag that he didn't take off the plane. So now I'm nervous walking out thinking the ATF's fixed to <laughs> swarm me. And so I go to the parking lot. It's been nine days. I can't remember where I parked. But I'm going, and I, I go to my truck, and I'm pushing the gas tank because I put my key in the gas tank. And if you're thinking about stealing my truck, there's cameras. I knew that there were cameras. I was like, if somebody realizes, because I didn't want to lose my key in nine days, but it won't open. So I turn around, there's a guy standing there. And he's like, can I help you? I said, no, unless you know how to get this gas tank open. <laughs> he said, that's my truck. <laughs> I said, yeah, hit the unlock I bet he knows how, how to get it open to release. <laughs> yeah, I hit this, my, my keyless entry yeah, here. And hit hit my, and I, I, had a, I bought a truck and I got it all wigged out. Just company, you know, they tricked it out or oh, whatever. Yeah. Angry spider. And they, they did it, so I would do a commercial. It was great. So I felt like, oh, I have one. There's only one truck like mine out there because they did all this stuff to it. So I got to, you know, so I feel like nobody's going to steal my truck because it's, they'd have to do a complete overhaul. So now this has gotten embarrassing because I look about two, two spaces over and I see a truck that looks a lot like the one I... <laughs> I'm trying to break in here. I'm like, I'm so sorry. But then he said, Jace, I, I know you have a similar truck. Well, he he knew who he I knew was. Who were. So I was like, thank the Lord for this, because I really what now I, I've got somebody else's bag. Now I got somebody else's truck that I'm breaking into. I mean, you're one minute from Monroe PD swooping mm -hmm. in on so you. So I finally got to my truck saying, Thank you, Lord. I popped the unlock button i opened the door and immediately started gagging because now i'm like what something has died in my truck over the last nine days and i i uh, did a rewind in my mind i bought chick-fil-a on the way to the airport mm. and i ate a little breakfast meal they had little chicken minis i remember it because i got in an argument about they only sell chicken minis in fours and tens he said, do you want the four or the 10? I was like, you need a seven. <laughs> so we're representing the spiritual context here. Seven, perfect number. You know, four four's not, not enough, 10's too many. How about seven? Because I was still angry over them not uh, doing the well-done fries anymore. And uh, But anyway, we got Which is your that. fault, because you told Unashamed Nation I about did. it. So I did. So I get the chicken man minis, I had the hash browns. Well, I got uh, an accompanying fruit bowl that i forgot to eat <laughs> when i looked in that bag it's always the fruit that look, gets left in nine days in louisiana apples blueberries uh what else do they put in there little Apple, oranges uh, strawberries strawberries look it it was a pure liquid <laughs> i could not believe it mm. of course i'm gagging you know <laughs> chunk that and I said, now I'm ready to go home. <laughs> let's, let's take a break. <laughs> and you wonder, unashamed nation, why we send him out. Please <laughs> remind me not to travel with you. <laughs> so, Jason, you and I have been talking a lot about travel here lately. And I would say probably the biggest thing I miss when I'm on the road is my bed, and particularly my Helix mattress. 
Um, no you know, doubt. Of course, you've had to do some ground and everything. You've had the really r- rougher than me. At least I'm going to camp out tonight. But it does look just like anything else in life. The struggles make you appreciate. That's right. Home and your bed. That's right. When you crawl in and get in that Helix mattress when you're back home, it, it's nothing, nothing quite like. There's always a moment of. So you know, and and I get into this when I go into places, and I can tell immediately. Um, in a hotel or something, where whether they have a, a mattress. I've never found a Helix. I'm hoping that some hotel chain will pick them up because they're fantastic. Um, they have 20 unique mattresses, uh, including the award-winning Lux Collection, which is really nice. They have a uh, 10 to 15-year warranty, 100-night trial, which is great. So you can see, you know, because a lot of times you have to figure out if a mattress is just right for you. Uh, so what you're going to do is when you go to their website, helixsleep.com, you're going to take a quiz, and it's going to match uh, the way you like to sleep, soft, medium, firm, uh, with what kind of bed you're going to get. And uh, like I said, a 10 to 15-year warranty, depending on the model. Uh, people love them. We love them. So we want you to check it out. Helix is offering right now 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our unashamed listeners. Go to Helix Sleep, H-E-L-I-X, helixsleep.com slash unashamed. This is their best offer yet, but it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Well, I I described it, Jay's, when when you were gone, because I was like, Jay's, like, I travel, I do planes all week. But I can go and not have anything like this. But Jay's will go, and it's always just the craziest setup that always gets him. Oh, I don't like it traveling by plane. Well, at I all. was fun. The well, you hadn't been on a commercial plane in a while, Dad. Fairly decent, but now yeah, it's, the it's, spiritual it's, application oh, is when you try oh, to man, be unselfish good. and do. I was trying to do something good. You will be persecuted. You're just going to be persecuted. So I got mm-hmm. upset about the glare, and then I thought, you know, I'm, I'm fixed to... And I have to say, because I do a lot of air travel, that post-COVID, it is a roll of the dice with the flight attendants. A lot of them are great, but some of them just, I don't know, they, they really came out of that not, not happy in general, and they are rough sometimes. It's never really aimed at me before. Sometimes it'd be like, I gotta go to the bathroom, and they're kind of, you know, you need to go sit down. I'm like, no, I'll assume the risk because I don't want to clean up on aisle four. So I I did realize that I needed some rest also. Uh, It had been a long (laughs) trip. I was sleep deprived, and I was distracted. But, you know, we're humans. We, we do things that are stupid. And uh, it was a good humbling experience. Romans comes to mind. Don't think of yourself more highly than you are. But it all worked out in the end. It all worked out. You made it. You got back. You got the dead, the rotten fruit out of your truck. All is good. And now we're back to study the book of Luke. Yeah, we had to have some fun because this is a difficult passage i mean there's so much stuff out there whenever you it's like you're reading all these parables you're reading about jesus and seeing his character and then all of a sudden you get into these passages and i think we did this we kind of teased it the last time we were all together about three or four podcasts four podcasts ago so you have a if you read the caption in luke 17 20 you know, the interpreters, translators, which these captions are not part of the original Yeah, text. if there's captions in your Bible, those were not part of the original. That's just somebody breaking it down for you. So here in Luke 17, 20, above verse 20 in italics in bold letters, it says the coming of the kingdom of God. And so you would think since Jesus started this off and we've read it and gone through it many times he was like john the baptist in one way that they both said as part of their arrival in ministry the kingdom of god is near yeah the kingdom of god is near the kingdom of god is near repeatedly over this is what the kingdom is like this is what the kingdom is like and then we just read one uh recently that said the kingdom of god is within you you Matthew know, 9, was that Matthew 19? Uh, yeah, it was one of the recent podcasts. 
No, no, that's twenty. Yeah, that's think, twenty-one. Now. Luke seventeen twenty-one. There, because the Pharisees. Yeah, oh, the yeah, Pharisees, that's the one we're getting to. That's right. Yeah, when, when he. But there's others, other gospels. Matthew, I believe Matthew, Mark, and Luke have this similar phraseology. Correct. And, and even in Luke nine, the one I keep reading over and over, uh, when it says uh, Luke nine twenty-seven. Jesus said, I tell you the tr truth, some who are standing here, and he's talking to, is he specifically talking to his disciples? I think yes. so. Talking to his disciples, I tell you the truth, some are standing here, will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. So what we're going to attempt to do is ask this fundamental question, is Jesus talking about the final coming, or is he talking about this coming in judgment in what happened to Jerusalem in A.D. 70, or both? Yep. That That is really the issue in the religious world. Correct. And another passage, I, I, I would say a more famous passage about this is Matthew 24, yeah, which and, when we studied Matthew, we got into it pretty good on that, too. Well, let me just read a couple of the verses, then we can read the Luke 17. Yep. And I think today's podcast, we've decided to go deeper in, into this. Well, what's causing all the arguments, and why is this confusing? And is this symbolic speech, or is this literal speech? Which... Which coming are we talking about? Is there because people say, "Well, there's only one," you know. So uh, I, I just I picked out a few verses. I thought so. Matthew twenty four. Now above the heading here in Matthew twenty four, look what they put here. This yeah, is interesting. Different. They put signs of the end of the age. Now, whatever you're fixed to read, whoever put that there, they think this is the end of the age. But then I would say, is it the end of the mosaic mm -hmm. hub? It's a lot of different ages of the of the temple being in Jerusalem, or is this the end of the age as far as Earth itself, humanity? Right. So let me read verse one of, of Matthew twenty four. Now, now watch this close though, and you'll see my point. And the reason I want to read from Matthew is because when he says Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to to him to call his attention to its buildings now no matter what we're fixed to go here we have a specific context of what's fixing to happen he walked away from what temple the one that was in Jerusalem the, the and, temple, yeah. and was built in uh, let's see when was the second temple built 516 BC Sure, he was walking away from that one. Yeah. Now, it was destroyed in A.D. 70, in which, by the way, I, I did this little research to help us in this. The first temple was built. Does anybody know? Solomon. By well, Solomon, you know who built kings, it, but when? First Kings 6. It's First well, Kings 6. You're um, like the Pharisees, Zach. I'm asking you when, and you're telling me where. I, well, Right. Well, I'm trying to, I, I'm yeah. rooting it in scripture so that I can get a. I'm up, kidding. Up. 957. Yeah, I was going to say 1,000. All right. When was it destroyed? 586. Right. Which is when they went by, into captivity. By the, by the uh, Babylonians. Babylonians. Right. Yep. Now, here's which what's interesting. Uh, se 70 years later, it was rebuilt. Correct. 516. Right. That came out of the Ezra Nehemiah age. Now, the second temple was destroyed in A.D. 70. Now, so you're immediately, before I continue the Matthew 24, well, when was the third temple built? There is no third temple. There is no third temple. <laughs> you're right. However, they're trying to figure out how. And, and the reason there's no third temple is because due to the land, which they has now been divided. Now it's half of that mountain is controlled by Islam. Islam. It's a mosque over there. So you now you have it. a wall. Yeah, I was yeah. there. I stood at the point. So now you have, well, isn't it interesting there's a wall there? But now look, they're trying to build a third temple. 
So we all know what it's like um, when all of a sudden something happens to you and you have an unexpected medical bill. Um, for a lot of folks, that can be a very uh, difficult time to wonder what you're going to do about that. And uh, we've got a new sponsor, Samaritan Ministries, that's, uh, that's really going to help you out. Uh, they're part of a Christian community. When you have a medical need, fellow members are going to send money directly to you to help you pay your medical bills, and you'll do the same for others. And I love it because it's couched in prayer and encouraging each other as well, which is a very biblical concept. There's no networks, so you're in control of your family's health care. You know what's best for them. And so you get to choose your doctor, your hospital, uh, what kind of treatments you're going to take. You can join today. Um, start health care sharing with Samaritan Ministries the day you complete your membership application, or you get to choose what month you'd like to start. It's not insurance. It's assurance that you're part of a health care sharing community. It's a biblical solution to health care where we help bear one another's burdens. So we want you to check it out. Lisa and I have joined. Um, so it could be a broken bone, an unexpected diagnosis, or other medical emergency. You'll find comfort knowing you're connected to 80,000 Christian households across the nation who stand ready to care for one another spiritually and financially during a time it's needed the most. Become part of this community today at SamaritanMinistries.org slash unashamed. That's SamaritanMinistries.org slash unashamed. Join today. I think it's important to lay a foundation of before even, I love where you're going with this, by the way, but why, why does the temple even matter? And I'm going to give you three, I'm going to give you three, three scriptures, actually two scriptures. I'm going to give you a summation of the first part and then two scriptures to highlight the importance of the scripture, because as, as we build this out, you're going to see about this third temple. It's going to be very, very powerful. But when you when you go to the the point of the temple, the the a lot of scholars believe that the first temple was actually the Garden of Eden. That it's a so when you get into all, you know the descriptions of uh, whenever he gives descriptions on how to build the tabernacle and, and Exodus twenty five, and then mm-hmm. the description on how to build the temple um, later, which became a permanent place of God. But the, when he gives the descriptions of all these things that we read, like, well, why is all that detail in there? Those are all representative. There's so much in there that's representative of the garden. And so it's it's this idea that this is a place where God's presence is. So when you get to uh, um, Exodus chapter 25, whenever he gives instruction to build a tabernacle, he says, let me pull it up here, 25, 8, um, and, let, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. So the point of the temple, this is so key. The reason why God gave the tabernacle and the temple was because he wants to dwell with his people. That's, that's, that's the tabernacle, which was a mobile, it was a mobile temple as they were going through the wilderness, they would construct it and then they would tear it back down. And that's where God's presence would come. So fast forward to when they have an established nation and he gives this commandment to David to build the temple, but David never did it, but his son Solomon did. And in first Kings six, verse 11, it says, now the word of the Lord came to Solomon. Verse 12 concerning this house that you are building. If you will walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my a word with you, which I spoke to David, your father. And, I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people. Verse 14, so Solomon built the house, built the temple, and finished it. So the point, I think it's key to, to as we move forward into, into this, is the point of the temple was this is where God dwelled with his people. It was in a temple. Well, it's weird how you're reading my mind, knowing where I was going to go, because I believe the reason this war is going on for this third temple and this battle is because if you take Jesus out, if you take him out of the equation, well, of course you're having a battle and a war over getting the temple up and running again. Because I believe in this most profound statement I want to make, I believe that Jesus living in people is the third temple. Correct. And now I have some 
verses for that. First Peter 2, 4 and 5. We're being built into a spiritual temple. You know, all those verses. Hebrews uh, 3, 6. We are his house. You know, speaking of the contrast between Jesus and Moses, why Jesus is better than Moses. You remember Hebrews yep. 3? Yep. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that, that is it. Yep. So the the scary part of this, when you go on this road, and you're like, well, wait a minute now. Well, what about the people of Israel? Are you just saying that they were destroyed in AD 70 and they have no chance? Well, you remember in Galatians 3, Paul made that argument. He basically realized how this was looking. And so just because Jesus fulfilled the law and the temple, their place of worship was destroyed in AD 70, it's interesting that Paul's argument was saying that this was based on a promise, not this, uh, what would you characterize it, not a keeping of the mosaical tradition or uh, I read uh, Jim McGuigan's commentary in Daniel because we're fixed to get there. He, he called it something, but I can't remember what the phraseology was. The It's like the mosaic commonwealth. That wasn't the word, but it was something like that. Because my point is, in Galatians 3, watch what it says uh, in verse 15. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previous previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. So so if I just stop here, my point is God made a promise to the Israelites through Abraham that through them, Jesus was coming. Correct. Now, if they don't want to acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, you know, that's on them. But that doesn't nullify that just because the temple was destroyed that they now have no access to God. Because that's what a lot of Israelites... Well, that's that. Well, that's what Paul's point... I mean, think about Paul's argument in Romans. I mean, I, I, I've always... I hate it when people get into con, like a conversation on Romans 9, 10, 11, and they want to make the, that whole part of Scripture about predestination and election, because I don't think that's Paul's primary point. No. Paul's primary point there is I'm trying to arouse my people to jealousy because the Gentiles have been grafted into this promise. And, and so it's, it's actually exactly what you're saying. It's, it's, there's a new, uh, there's a, God is a God of the covenant. He's made a covenant with his people. And what's in, interesting about the covenant that, that you just mentioned on Galatians three is that that covenant was a one way covenant. It wasn't a covenant of performance on the part of the people, which typically you go into a, a covenant like that. So if you do this, then I do this. And then, Here's the agreement that we're making. But when God made the covenant with Abraham, your memory said cut the animals in half. And the idea was he, you, you walk through those animals that are split in half. You walk through that. And what, you, what you're saying when you walk through that bloodbath, you're saying, if I break this covenant, may this happen to me. That's, that was the, how, how they, they made a covenant back then. And think about and, that but, before you go forward. If you look back at Genesis 12, all Abraham did was answer the call to follow God to a place he did not That's know where he, he was did. going. That's all he did, which is exactly yeah, he, what we do. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't perform. And no. so, in, when he made the when God made the covenant with him, though, it, the Bible says that the the that the spirit uh, moves through the center of those animals cut in half, and the the idea is that God is saying, "I'm making a covenant with you." And if you break this covenant, may this happen to me, That's right. which is which yeah. is the gospel. And then that promise that you're talking about, uh, it's so key to this. I've been because we've been going through the book of Isaiah at our church, and and it's all through the book of Isaiah, by the way. Which is the one 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 scholar said that Isaiah is the Old Testament Romans, and it is. I mean, it it's is. so powerful. But it's this idea 
that when God makes a promise, which he did made a, make a promise to Abraham, the deliver the, the the delivering of that promise is going to be infinitely bigger than anybody could have imagined when he made it. And it is bigger. And so there's this whole idea of this temple that we're talking about here, this eschatological temple is God is calling all nations, all nations, Jews and Gentiles to flow up the mountain of Zion and to worship him and to dwell in where God will dwell with his people. I mean, that is the overarching theme of kind of where all this is moving towards. I agree. Let's take another break. Three years, it's coming. It's coming, and it's near. It's coming, it's near. It can't, it can't be here until the death of Jesus. He's got to die before the kingdom can come. That's what they're saying for three years. They're stacking it up. When you get to Acts, post-resurrection, post-death of Jesus, it never comes up again on where it is. It, 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 it is embraced for being there. No more close. No more almost here. Uh, uh, y'all are in it now. It just starts, and it with two, two texts. That's Acts chapter 1. When they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Look, he brushes that off like nothing because they had no idea what had just taken place with the death of Jesus because they all took off running when he was killed. But he said to them, it's not for you to know the times and dates the Father set by his own authority, but you're going to receive some power here when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The, it, it, it's, the kingdom will be here, but they don't even have understood it right here. But Paul begins to preach, and the gospel he preached was the gospel of the kingdom. I mean... But Jesus had to die. That's why it was near, and it's not going to get here until the one who brings it is right there. Right. It was there because it couldn't be called a kingdom until he becomes the king. So who yeah, is that? Yeah, that's a good point. He's yeah, and you, and you mentioned. Well, if you're a king, you got to have a kingdom. Well, you got to have it. a kingdom. And it started in Acts chapter 2. Yeah, I was thinking when, Jason, when you were reading, uh, was it Matthew 24? Earlier, yeah, and I'm eventually going to get back there. But <laughs> yeah. y'all That's are reading. Okay. We may have we to have gonna a, di- dive deep. We may have to have a part two. But go <laughs> well, ahead, I make see part two out. coming. Well, I was just going to make the comparison uh, of Mark 24. I mean, uh, uh, Matthew 24 to Mark chapter 13. 13. Exactly, the, yep. and you're right. That that's an, I'm going to hit that in just a second. So I think wait right. for that. But I just wanted to say back to Paul's argument. Because we're not, uh, you know, especially in in these days, God God's not given up on Israel, or we're no. not saying, you know, oh, when that temple got destroyed, the fact that it's never been rebuilt, even though they're trying to. And if you if you want to really research it, I mean, I watched probably seven or eight uh, YouTube videos about when the third temple is going to be rebuilt, and I mean, they I watched one where the guy they had an expert. And he thinks he's found the Ark of the Covenant, and it's under that wall. Yeah. And it's like, well, once we get the land back, we're going to, because he used some kind of sonar deal, and there's like, there's a cubby hole in here. Yeah. Some people from Nebraska, they shot through the wall. and I saw that. Yeah. And uh, so, which, by the way, Zach, movie, movie idea alert before I read this. <laughs> uh, Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you remember that? Oh, yeah. yeah. And it had a lot of... It, it it created a lot of interest in where is the Ark of the Covenant. It, it really did. Yeah. But you do that, Zach, you come up with the Indiana Jones, you know, so whoever that is, uh, you know, Rock. <laughs> the Rock. Rock somebody. He He's, you, you search for the, the Ark new of Harrison the Covenant, Ford. but the movie ends at an empty grave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Jace, you mm-hmm. told me. Hold on a second. Now, see, now you got me. Now you got me interested because you. So the we whole had a movie is you find the ark and it ends 
at an empty I grave like and you say, ooh, I think we found something better. <laughs> That's good. Hey, you know, you told me years ago that you had an idea, and I think you may have written something. Yeah, I, on, I, we, I have a script. We, that's been on my table <laughs> have a for script. ten years. I do. And he really it, he told me about it, and I was like, "He said I have a script." Think uh, I wrote it, and uh, I couldn't get any takers. <laughs> really, I never got a response. People that I've let read it were speechless. So there you go. <laughs> I want to read that. I, I'm. I think this is the time. Yeah. I, I actually this do. I think it's, that's the uh, moment. Let me. I got, got a successful top, movie now. I got to top some loose ends here. Right. So Paul's argument, though, when he gets to verse twenty six and uh, twenty eight of Galatians about this. Galatians three. Yeah, he said, "You're all sons of God, you know, through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized in Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek." And then he gets into chapter four and verse six, which is, you know, the next section we're going to get into in Luke 18 is about this same kind of relationship with the father, the adoption as sons, yep. this father son relationship. I mean, there's no, Paul is literally reciting where we're at here in this argument. Correct. No doubt about and it. And even used a, a, an instance in Abraham's life with the two women in Abraham's life as a way to illustrate his point, which is fantastic when you think about it. I mean, exactly. brilliantly done. Well, so, you have, so, if, to, in order to have a kingdom, first of all... You got to have a king. <laughs> exactly. There it is. And so it's look. not concrete and boards and wood and things hanging. Well, we're gonna get nope. there. We're gonna get there. But but first, I want to just want to show you that in Matthew twenty four, contrary to a lot of scholarly belief, when Jesus said in verse two, "Do you see all these things?" Now, now what they called the disciples, they were walking away from the temple. Disciples came up. They called his attention to its buildings, to Phil's point. Jesus said, "Do you see all these things?" Yes. I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left. On another, everyone will be thrown down. Everyone will be thrown down. That sounds pretty specific. Now, how many years later, after he made that statement, was the temple and all those buildings were they destroyed? Forty years. Forty years later, Titus and the Roman. You know that's why a lot of people who believe what we believe believe that this Titus from the Roman prince was the. you know, the Antichrist, basically. Yeah. And, and and that's where they get this from, because this happened. You remember also in John 2 when Jesus said, hey, remember when they were talking about destroy this temple and I'll I'll raise it up after three yep. days? Yep. And they're looking around saying, it's crazy. But Jesus was talking about himself. Yep. So let me just read a couple of other passages from this, because then he gets into this symbolic language of sorts thrown in. And I just want to pick a few verses. You can read it all in your own time. Uh, I wrote these down. Verse 6. For some reason, I wanted to read verse 6. It says, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Now, the reason I'm reading that is, whether you believe what we're presenting or not, as, as the destruction of Jerusalem being a part of what he's discussing here. You, you can't deny the fact that he's, look, he came from the temple. They had a conversation, and he very well could be, in this particular in, instance, referring to this wars and rumors of wars, because what happens today in modern religion when wars and rumors of wars happen? Everybody says, boy, get ready. The end is the king, no, the kingdom's coming. It's cut. Co- yeah, there are a lot of religious people who say that, and I'm just saying, just hang on, because what if there's there's something that in time that Jesus was referring to in this instance? So I want to read verse 14. Uh, for, for whatever reason, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So you're like, well, what is it? What end is he talking about? Because now 
it seems like he shifted maybe. So so somebody will make the point. Okay, well, he was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem because he was saying no buildings. But then you have this. Well, maybe he's including that. I was just given given uh, some bits and pieces. But then in verse 15, he kind of clarifies that and says, so when you are standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Uh-oh. We got specific. Well, what I would do if I read something like that right on the heels of such a drastic statement of the end, end coming and the kingdom coming, because we have all that covered in just the three verses I read, I would go back to Daniel and say, mm-hmm. whoa, 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 wait a minute, what? He said, because it's almost like a record scratch moment. What is the abomination that causes desolation? So I'm going to read it in Daniel in the future, but I wanted to get a few other verses of Matthew 24 before we begin that discussion. So if you go down to verse 21, because you're going to see these quotes in Daniel. For then, for then there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. This sound, whatever's fixed to happen, doesn't sound real good. In fact, in verse 19, he's talking about how dreadful it'll be, you know, for uh, pregnant women and nursing mothers and pray that- a bad time to be alive. Yeah, it it just sounds. So verse 22, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. That time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, don't believe it. For false false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles. So I want to skip down to verse 27. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Where there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. We're fixed to read that in Luke. You read down to verse 31. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather the elect from the four winds from one to the other. Uh, so you see all this, and you say, what, 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 what does it all mean? So if you go back to Daniel, now the two that we always read. Daniel 2. Yep, Daniel 2. Daniel had a dream. I mean, uh, Daniel interprets the dream. In verse 36, it says, this was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. You, O king of the king of kings, the God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory in your hands. He is placed in your hands. Uh, and he goes through this. And so you skip down to verse, where am I looking, looking for? Well, it's a statue that starts being built. Yeah, a statue is the dream. Yep. So he, when he explains it in verse 44, it says, in the time of those kings... God, the God of heaven, will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it it will itself endure forever. So we know through history that that statue that was made, there's some nations that I didn't write down, but history followed exactly what he said. Yep. You can go through the nations all the way to Rome. It's the it's the, uh, it's the Babylonians, the Medo Persians, the the uh, the Greeks, the Greeks, and, the and then the Roman then Empire, the which was the the mixed the mixed clay with um, iron, is the Roman Empire, and and in those days, yeah. So it's it's again it's prophetic of the coming of Christ. All the four, day that, all four of those empires were during the biblical era. So we can prove it by just looking in history as well as what the Bible says. So, yes. that's right. So, well, let me just read these two verses, Zach, and then we can, just because I think I feel like if I don't, people are not going to connect while we're doing this. Because when he referred to Daniel, so Daniel 7, 13, and 14, we then are introduced to Jesus as the Son of Man coming through this one. All right. Now, if you go to chapter 9, where obviously you're going to see some of the same quotes that we just read that Jesus in Matthew quoted. 24. Yeah, Matthew 9, 25. It Daniel says, or Matthew? Daniel. Daniel. Okay. 
And really, you know, if you if if you read the whole uh, chapter, I think it would it would help. Which, by the way, we've already moved into the next era in this passage. Now we're in the Medo-Persia era of when yeah. we get to Daniel nine. So there's a prayer. Daniel has a prayer. He does set the time period, which is consistent with when the first temple is yep. built, the second temple is destroyed, yep. and he and he gives a picture of that temple being destroyed. And he calls that the 70 uh, days. But then he gives another picture of the 70 sevens, yep. which is going to be more awful. And, and so now a lot of people start crunching the numbers and nobody, no scholars ever figured out all these numbers yeah, they and figured out up. to Jesus, you yep. know. And so if it's symbolic language, then all of a sudden you might think, well, maybe he was talking about the first temple, and maybe he was talking about the second temple, and then introducing the one who was coming who would be the temple, mm. Jesus. Because mm. Daniel yeah. 2 and Daniel 7, everybody agrees. Oh, yeah, Jesus is coming. He's bringing the kingdom. But Daniel 9, why are we all of a sudden We've just moved forgetting to, about yeah. Jesus? Because watch what 25 says. No one understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem— until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench and in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary the end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven in the middle of the seven. He will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. You say, what in the world have we gotten into? <laughs> Read it 10 times <laughs> and just ask yourself, number one, who's the anointed one? Who's the anointed one? Sounds like it has to be Jesus. has to be Jesus. And he just broke up those numbers into three sections. The seven, the 62, sevens, and then the one, seven. If you do that math, that's 70. And you're like, well, what's your point? You know, if he's, you either have to ask yourself, is this literal or is this a symbolic view of what's fixed to happen at that temple of the Jerusalem and there's going to be an anointed one come? Even when you look at the language of Jesus dying and apply it to here. And they and they would have been looking at this for a long time. All right, we're out of time. Uh, obviously, lots more to cover. Uh, we're going to flesh this out some more in overtime as well as on the next podcast. Um, so if you want to follow us over to get a little more depth uh, into this, it's blazetv.com slash unashamed is where our overtime is. We'll see you there. Thanks for listening to the Unashamed Podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube. And be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.